What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 41, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode 1969. 69. And uh, it's going to be a great one. We're going to have a good time. Uh, You can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. And when you do, be sure to give us all those lovely ratings and reviews. Uh, and you can find us on Spotify podcasts. And when you do that, there's a little heart buttony thing. I think again, I haven't checked. It's been months. Um, but if there's a little doohickey that you can click to indicate that you're enjoying the show, click the doohickey so that you can indicate that you're enjoying the show. And then of course you got to tell friends about us. Uh, but all, when you're doing all that stuff, it helps folks find us. And when those folks find us, they should let us know that they have found us. And Zach, if they want to let us know about how they found us or if they think that the little doohickey is still there or anything else that might be just like on their mind, how would they do that? They can email us, Brent, at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-R-G-A-T at gmail.com. Tiniest. See, now it's turning into a thing where I feel obligated to give you an instant feedback about how you blaze through those letters. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's a good, you know. You, you don't have to. I, I, I don't have you to. You know, you could just just say, well done. Well well done, Zach. Thanks, Brent. Well done. Uh, there's one thing I forgot to mention uh, that undoubtedly when I mix this, there's probably going to be a little bit of echo that I might not be able to get rid of. And that's because. Hold on. We're in the same room! <laughs> oh, man. Dorks. We are nerds. We're so dorks. Anyway, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm once again visiting, and uh, so we decided to do what we normally do and uh, record in the same room. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can also find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or on Facebook. Uh, just look up Walking Through the Stargate. We've got a Facebook page. You can go ahead and hit that follow button on mm-hmm. it. Uh, and after you've done that, hit the uh, group button and join us on the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook group. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for uh, our followers who are following us there. And um, uh, Brent, uh, one of our followers on Twitter, or not Twitter, on Facebook, decided to uh, print out your description of what each of the chevrons mean. Uh-huh. Um, so if you <laughs> want to look at that, I, I think I'm thinking for myself, I should probably like pull that and stick it in our show notes so that uh, we have oh, consistency. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. So that so instead of giving it a Chevron rating, I describe it as to like what Well you no, no, you actually have to well that could be a bit. You describe it yes. and I guess what yours yes, is. Yes, that's a good point. Oh uh, and also I uh, uh it it flabbergasts me that there are people that are like, hey that was neato, I'm gonna type that thing. Yeah. I am humbled uh that my rants found its way into that. But anyway you it's know, good, good you, you you are becoming a, an internet celebrity, mm, something like that, which which doesn't really mean anything. No. It just sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brent, what do you do? I'm something of an internet celebrity. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't heard of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the internet. <laughs> you got to go to that one corner over that, there. That very small corner. That very devoted corner, though. It's a very, we it's a lovely We appreciate corner. all oh, of those who listen to our podcast. We thank you very much. We were just, uh, you make this uh, more fun than it would be otherwise. We were talking earlier before we started to record about, you know, just the, the general, because it's been almost a year. I mean, we're kind of coming up 
Yeah, um, let's see. So Zach and I had recorded a few episodes before we put anything live. Um, and we put them live in the beginning of August, if I remember right. And so, uh, honestly, I think that we're actually like at a year, honestly, uh, you know, for the two of us in our, in our real lifetime, um, as opposed to our fake lifetime. Uh, so just a quick note on that. Um, the Stargate movie, uh, show notes, which was our episode zero. Yeah. Was last modified on July fifth, two thousand eighteen. It, it's been a year. It's been a year. Happy anniversary! Happy Zach. anniversary! I didn't Brent. get you anything for I it. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we actually posted anything online until August. Yeah. but we started recording then. Yep. In early July. Yeah, and last uh, year. figured things out and recorded things twice and. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've only had to record that one. Zero episode twice. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, we were trying to figure out what was working. But yep. Anyway, so the reason we were talking about all that was just, you know, uh, why not? And to just be like, yeah, this is where we're at. But we were talking about how um, how much fun it is to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a relatively small but, like, loyal cadre of listeners and engagement with other shows that are basically doing kind of the same thing, which is still a lot of fun, and engaging within the Stargate fandom more generally, um, which I am realizing is something pretty special. Like, uh, I didn't know. Um, it was a fandom that was over there, and it was great that the fandom existed, but now I'm actually starting to feel like I'm a part of that, which is really rad. And so, yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, well, Happy thoughts. You know. Wonderful. We thank you very much, listeners, and uh, we're glad that we have a cool community, uh, even if it is a small community. Yes. We love all of you. Um, Just a little bit of nuts and bolts. Uh, We're coming up to the end of Season Mm 2 of Stargate. Next week, we will do a combined podcast of the last episode of Season Mm 2 and the first episode of Season 1, because it's all one storyline. Yep. Uh, at that point in time, we are going to take a couple of weeks off, yes, uh, just to kind of give us a chance to uh, decompress. It's been a really crazy time in my life, and Brent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so we're just going to take a couple of weeks off there, um, but then we'll don't worry, we'll start back up again and uh, keep going. Well, yeah, uh, with season three because I got to find out what happens in season three, and if I'm not doing the podcast, I'm not going to watch it. Well, you know, you <laughs> could watch it without the podcast, but nah, we I still can't. need a podcast. Yeah. So it will happen. All but right. I just wanted to give you that heads up there on that. Uh, with that, Brett, shall we dig into yeah. 1969? Let's do it. All right. 1969 was directed by Charles Correll. Uh, this is his second and last time as a director. And according to uh, the Google hit that I found first, mm-hmm. Charles Carell <laughs> was born in 1890 on February 2nd and died September 26, 1972. He was an American oh. radio comedian, actor, and writer known best for his work for the series Amos and Andy with Freeman Godsden. Carell voiced the main character, Andy Brown, along with various lesser characters. So uh, he really wrote that story ahead of his time. Yeah, okay, so (laughs) that isn't actually the corral of this episode. Okay, all right, fine. But it is his dad. Oh, you're kidding me! (laughs) (laughs) The one who wrote this episode is Charles Corral 
Junior. Junior. Oh, it's Junior. Who was born in on January 23, 1944. Uh-huh. He died January, June 4, 2004. Mm. And, of course, he's a television director and cinematographer. He is the son of Charles Carell yeah. Sr. Yeah. Uh, he's also got a brother who is in uh, acting and directing. Uh, one of the big things that Cor- Char- our Charles Carell uh, Jr. is known for is he was the cinematographer for Star Trek Three: The Search oh, for Spock. It, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we have about Charles. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, did I say writer? I meant director. I don't know. Um, Whatever. He was the director for all. Okay, of this he was stuff. the director. So yeah, just substitute. Anytime I said writer in that bit, well, the it might have been me that made the mistake. Anyway, anyway, carrying on. The teleplay for yes. 1965 was Brad Wright. 1969. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Zach. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Uh huh. Good. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. 1969. Uh huh. Who wrote it again? Brad Wright. Okay. Good. Uh, he's one of the creators of the show. Uh huh. Uh, this is his fifth writing credit in season two. Yeah, okay. Uh, he wrote The Serpent's Lair, mm-hmm. which I think is the first one. Yeah, I think that's right. The Gamekeeper. He did the story. Somebody else did the teleplay. Mm-hmm. Message in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, O'Neill gets stabbed in the shoulder with an alien device. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and A Matter of Time, where we use a bomb to redirect the wormholes. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't like that episode so much. Nope. And here he is, putzing around time again. Yay! Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, Mm -hmm. so um, if you want to know more about Brad Wright, I invite you to listen to some of our other podcasts. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a whole slew of guest actors in this episode. Uh Uh-huh. First off is Alex Zahara. He played Michael. Uh, one of the the hippies who was driving in the van. Far out. Uh, this is his second credit on uh, SG One. He played the character Zales in the episode Spirits uh, earlier this season. He's got a total of eight credits throughout mm-hmm. the whole series, mostly playing different alien creatures and things like that. And uh, as we were watching it, oh. Um, we should mention. Oh, yes. Uh, so being in the same room, we also took the opportunity to do another little watch through. So um, on the feed, there's going to be a bonus episode where you can kind of sort of queue up uh, uh, the episode 1969 and listen to us jibber jabber about it uh, along the way. And so when um, Michael uh, what's Zahara. Michael Zahara pops up on screen. Uh, I was informed that uh, that was Zales from Spirits, and I'm sitting there like squinting, <laughs> and they're like, "It is," and I believe him. And then later on, I'm like, "Oh yeah, 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 I can see it in the eyes." But yeah, he he did not look anything no. like Zales yeah. in the least. Um. So then uh, Amber Rothwell played Jenny. Um, I realized just before we started recording that I had written all of these names in the guest actor spots. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, but I hadn't actually done much research on them. And so really quickly before we started podcasting, uh-huh. I tried to do some of this sure. stuff. Uh, so I don't really have much on Amber. Um, Aaron Pearl played Lieutenant George Hammond. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, we will see him one more time in SG-1 as a different character. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and he's got a good long career of lots of stuff. Uh, Pamela Perry plays future Cassandra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, she's had a long career. Uh, not much more to say about that right now. Uh, Glynis Davies, uh, she played Catherine Langford in this episode. Yep, okay. 
um, we will actually, she's actually got a significant uh, Stargate presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, She plays another character in, I think it's uh, 2003, so what is that, season seven or something like that, of SG-1. She'll pop up again in Mm -hmm. SG-1. And then she's got a recurring character in Stargate Universe. Oh, okay. Uh, So she's in six or eight episodes of Stargate Universe. Nice. Uh, and so we'll see her face again throughout the series. Gotcha. So that rounds out our guest actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1969 originally aired on March 5th, 1999. Mm-hmm. And can you guess, Brent, what was number oh, one on the charts boy. in the U.S.? Was it that Monica song again? It was indeed uh, Angel of Mine by Monica. Yay. And can you also guess who was number one on the U.K. charts? Was it still Britney? It was, in fact, still uh, Britney. Come on, 1999 listeners. Pick some different music. They were, they were, they were afraid that this was going to be the last time they would ever enjoy those songs ever again because the end of the world was nigh. That is true. And we so they, are mere months away months from away. the uh, determined end of the world. Yes, so they had to listen to Baby one more time, one more time. Oh, angel of mine. <laughs> See, and that's their aspirational, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're hoping to go someplace well, good after the oh, end of the world. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, so, that's boring. Uh, March, what about in the movies? Movies. Uh, in the box office, number one was Analyze This. Yeah, yeah. Number two, Cruel Intentions. Eight yeah, millimeter yeah, yeah, is yeah. number three. Yeah. The other sister, number four, and Payback mm. rounds out the top five. Payback, I know. I don't know the other sister. So all the other ones I know. Wonderful. That, I don't really. I've never seen any of those. Movies. I I know movies. Yay! Maybe, maybe I don't know. No. Uh, what happened on this day? Not much was happening at this point in time. Mm-hmm. March 1st, a couple of days before this, uh, Daryl Cullinan scores South African cricket record record uh, 275 uh, in... What the... He- uh, okay, so I just copy and pasted this, and now so I'm reading this. So he scored 275 in what? Uh, cricket uh, in the first test against New Zealand yeah. at Eden Park, yeah. Auckland. Uh, Gary Christen, 128. So he probably scored 128 runs. No, I think, but Daryl Cullinan scored 275 runs or points whatever. or whatever. Yeah, I think it's runs. Uh, and the previous record was 128, I'm guessing. It's, I, I so should really read this stuff in, ahead of time. <laughs> in cricket, you get, so you got, you got your pitch or whatever that you're going to be batting, and it's just basically a long rectangle. And your bowler, which is the pitcher, is like throwing the ball towards the wickets at the other end, and then the batter is trying to bat the ball away and preserve the wickets, basically. And if he bats the ball away, he can run back and forth between the two ends. And if he is able to get to one side, I think he gets two runs. And if he gets from, if he, and if he goes back and forth, is it just two and four? Whatever. I think he gets two every time he goes back and forth, I think. And you can get across the line with your bat. So, um, you know, so batters stay up batting for quite a while, usually. And so you can score a lot. Because if, and you get automatic points if your ball hits the boundary, and you get automatic more points if they go over the boundary, and so it's possible as a batsman to run up the score um, to score two hundred and seventy something or whatever. But but it's also kind of amazing because it's you're basically up there batting the ball away like you know like a god among men uh, for quite a while, just running up the score. And well, so. there you go. So Daryl, yeah. you did it! Yay, Daryl! Um, on March 3rd, uh-huh. uh, 
Maxwell releases his single uh, Fortunate, which eventually becomes the R&B single of the year. I don't know. I don't uh, know Fortunate. Yeah, no. And then on March 5th, the day this came, comes out, Paul Okalik. Have you ever heard of Paul Okalik? Probably not. He is no. <laughs> elected the first premiere of the Canadian territory of none of it. Oh, uh, I did a real quick uh, search of this. Uh, none of it actually becomes a territory of uh, Canada shortly after this election, mm-hmm. uh, and so Okalik's election—a um, territory he has, or a province? Did it say territory? I think it's a territory. Okay. I mean, I, I wrote territory, and yeah, I think because it used to be the Northwest Territory. Anyway, carry on. Anyway. Um, I think it became anyway. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe it was province, but I, I, don't, I maybe not. I anyway, think we got it wrong. Whatever it is, that's what it was. And Okalik had a played a very significant role in the development and the establishment of this government. Yeah. Uh, basically, this was an area that did not have any type of formal governmental structure. Right. As I understand it. And uh, Okalik, being the first one, really had significant roles in getting that up and running. And I think, if memory serves me right, some of those very far north territories are uh, effectively still governed by the First Nations and the first and those and the principles or the governance structures that those nations had already used for thousands of years. So there is some integration within the Canadian government and its infrastructure, but it is also, uh, uh, you know, governed in kind of, almost in a self-deterministic kind of a way. Right. Um, so if you know more about this whole process, yeah. uh, let us know. Yes, Send please. me an email and, uh, you know, tell us about it because that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only had about three or four minutes to uh, even get as much information as I did. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, there's a lot here and I'm not fully understanding it all. Sure. Um, but there it is. So. There it is. Uh, okay, so that what was ha- what was happening at this time? Trivia mm-hmm. for 1969 in Sky's top ten Stargate episodes. I think Sky is a British te- like, it's like a sci-fi channel for Britain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, if I'm wrong on that, please correct me. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it's British. It's out of the, the, the sci-fi channel British, and their top ten Stargate episodes 1969 was voted number four. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's right up there. It's right up there. Um, when they're at the bottom of a Titan missile silo, mm-hmm. uh, just before the launch, there's mm-hmm. a short shrieking sound. Uh, and that's uh, actually a sound a Titan missile would make. It's the fuel pump turbine spinning up. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they actually nailed that one. Nice. Uh, the observatory where O'Neill and Teal goes to check out the solar flares is actually the Gordon McMillan Southern Observatory in Vancouver. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's actually an observatory there. Uh, it was open to the public. Uh, uh, it is open to the public, but it wasn't actually built until 1979. So, oh. you know. Well, but it's not supposed to be up in Vancouver. But, but anyway. that's okay, because it's it? pretending it's something else. Yes. Right. Um, so General Hammond tells O'Neill that he owes him $539.50 mm-hmm. to pay back the loan. Yeah. Accounting for simple interest at the prime rate of 8% for August 1969, Lieutenant Hammond would have loaned Colonel $161.29 due on the air date. Now, what I think compound? that I think it had to have been compound interest because he pulls out. Up to two bills. Yes. And in 1969, up to two bills might have been as much as two twenties. Yeah, it was probably you know? more likely. Like uh, and and I didn't do ones. the calculations. 
of what compound interest would do. Uh, but I suspect compound interest is a far better uh, indicator of what was going on there than simple. Uh, and uh, what I think should be done to those uh, mathematician boffins that are so insistent on trying to figure that one out is that they should backwards calculate it based off of uh, a variety of interest rates to do their best determination as to what those two bills represented. So get to work. That's right. Um, now, it does suggest here that they're using the prime rate of 8% for what it would have been in, in 1969. 1969. But over the years... The rate has fluctuated. The rate has fluctuated. Right. So uh, unless you happen to get get a fixed compound rate from 1969, which it wasn't determined, so that means uh, it can be fluctuated. Look, all I'm saying is that this is just math. It's just math. There's a lot of variables. You're going to have to do some work because to do it right, you would put that in the bank account and then it would be ca- the interest would be calculated daily and so you'd have to have that daily rate going back all that time in order to figure out how much the interest would be but it can be done and if we know what the math what the output is general hammond says so himself we know what the input is you just got to do the math so get to work so work yeah work all right (laughs) uh okay so jackson reveals that he was four years old roughly in 1969 which would have put uh, jackson's birth in 1965 Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael Shanks, who plays Jackson, was born December 15th, 1970. So he's ah. about five years younger than the character he's playing. Yeah. Um, uh, but James Spader, who played Jackson in the movie, yeah. is about 10 years older than Michael Shanks. Uh-huh. So, so he's six years older than the character. Yeah. Did so, I get that right? Or five years. Whatever. Yeah, he's older. Whatever. Uh, so actually what you have there is you know a pretty good split of the difference. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's right. Um, moving on, the actual NORAD facility under Cheyenne Mountain does not and never did house a missile training silo. So uh, clearly we're in an alternate reality. Oh, well, then then, then there are no problems. Let's carry there on. There you go, carrying on. Um, now, the training <laughs> silos uh, would have been found at missile bases such as Vandenberg, California, uh, I honestly, so, I mean, I knew because of the promo that this was a time travel episode, right? I, I, I knew it. But but when they when they found themselves underneath those um, nozzles, the first thing I was thinking of was not Cheyenne. It was something else. It was, it was oh, they're at some testing facility, mm-hmm. which didn't, honestly didn't make any sense now that I'm saying it out loud. Like, it was very clearly visually communicated that they were in the same spot, just a different time. And yet I still was like, yeah, they're at like Vandenberg or someplace, right? right. Yeah. Um, so I just want to read a real quick quote here from the Illustrated Companion. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was uh, Brad Wright kind of thinking about this episode. It was out and out a fun time, he says. After the success of Tin Man in season one, we decided to try for at least one episode every season that's just plain Fun. Yeah, cool. What I love about 1969 is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. That's something we are we are consciously trying. Uh, that's something we've consciously tried to avoid in Stargate SG One. One of the things that makes us different from a lot of the other shows on television is our ability to laugh at ourselves and be a little bit offbeat every now and then. Mm-hmm. I think most of our audience appreciates that. Yeah, uh, and that is one of the things that I really uh, love about SG One is that it's serious. 
it there's some you know tension there, but it also is willing to recognize that look, we're a TV show, yeah, and right. we're going to have fun with it. Well, right, yes, because the and we talked about this before, like. Um, there is some foundational element of, look, if I'm going to be spending my time with this, I want to be entertained. That's the point. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to learn something. I'm here to be entertained. Uh, and that entertainment can take the form of many different ways. It can be very dramatic, but it also is quite enjoyable if it is uh, varied, right? Like if there's a very dramatic moment or a very comedic moment or a very tense moment or a very sad moment, like it, it's very nice when we have variety in that. Yep. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, as I did last week, I was looking at some of the other titles in different languages. Yes. For this. Most of them are 1969 in their appropriate uh, uh, languages. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, uh, uh, however, uh, Italian, yeah? it's different. Do they not have 1969 it's in Italy? Viaggio nel tempo, <laughs> where time travel. Oh, come on! Uh, now, I may have butchered my Italian, well, but, for, s- but still. But, still. Yeah. Um, a little on the nose there, don't you think? Yeah, but that's 1969 Italian. is pretty on the nose, too. <laughs> I think I said that about the French last time. <laughs> uh, so we do have a, a, a couple of goofs in this episode that mm-hmm. I want to mention. Uh, while like, traveling to yeah. New York, they pass through Chicago, mm-hmm. and there's this nice uh, shot of the Sears Tower, yeah. which didn't even begin construction until 1970. 70, yeah. And it wasn't completed until 70. Three. Yeah. So in 1969, at best, it, it was a was, hole in the ground. <laughs> well, no, if they hadn't even begun construction, they hadn't even built the hole in the ground. But, I mean, certainly but by certainly 1969, they had at least started plans for the building. Yes. It, yes. Whatever. It was not built. But it wasn't there. Yes. Um, also, uh, in the Washington, D.C. warehouse, you can see... Uh, if you look in the background, I didn't look this time because we were having fun with other stuff. Yes. Uh, but there are Seaforth Highlanders uh, of Canada heraldry for uh, oh. <laughs> in the background. Uh, so you're like, oh. So they went to a Vancouver armory. Yeah. <laughs> because that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's fun. Um, and um, Apparently, when they come up to the uh, observatory, mm-hmm. there are some signs that identify it as the Gordon McMillan Southern Observatory, which is in Vancouver. And uh, I noticed that there was the word observatory on the side, but it also yeah. kind of looked like like something either had been. I don't. I didn't notice the words Gordon McMillan. Now I might have just missed it, and wow. I wouldn't have known it if I had seen it. But. Um, uh, but I, but it did notice that the word observatory was on the side of the building and it felt like it was sticking out kind of weirdly, like, mm. like it was just observatory, like there was nothing else. And I wonder if they had like tried to, they were probably or, trying to yeah. aim the camera in just a way so that you only got observatory, got the word observatory. so it's like, there. it's like in Batman, like the old Batman where everything's just plainly labeled like yeah. <laughs> observatory. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, another one of the goofs that is worth mentioning is uh, consistency. So, in the end, when uh, they they go through the Stargate at the end to get back home, mm-hmm. and then they go visit future Cassandra. Yeah, um, they get they travel back to where the Stargate is. Yes, and then when they go from there back through the wormhole to a present time, they go from wherever the Stargate was in future time. Yes. to that. Yes. Um, 
which would suggest that in 1969, when they go through the gate the first time, they shouldn't end up in Star in Cheyenne Mountain, but wherever the Stargate happened to be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, but there's this nice little uh, inconsistency there that they. But you well, know. But yeah, it's television, and the, and and the story is gonna is the story's gonna story. Uh, but the an idea that just popped in my head literally just now was um i was starting to get a little precious with it but actually i think it kind of works itself out like the physical location in the universe where the gate is in those times is actually meaningfully different and they mentioned that they, they account for stellar drift like that's a phrase that is used uh in the show quite regularly sure um and so uh using the uh the time bending properties of solar flares <laughs> you can't see me roll my eyes on that one, but whatever. All right. So using the time bending property of solar flares, um, it, you know, the calculations would also have to account for where the Stargate was or will be based off of the drift of our own sun. Yeah. Um, and which is uh, great because it, it kind of reduces sort of those uh, because then you're actually traveling to a gate that's somewhere else. Right. You're not actually traveling to the gate that's in the exact same spot. You're traveling to a gate that's, uh, hundreds of thousands or maybe more miles away because the sun has been traveling that entire time. Um, and so like, like it still kind of works inside my own head of, you know, as far as space time is concerned, you're traveling to a very different point. You're not traveling to the same point. You're traveling to another point. It's over there. It's a long way away. And so it's going to function like a second gate. It's not going to function like the same gate twice. It's going to function like a second gate. Sure. Yes. Science. Science. Yes. Blinded me with science. Oh, my. So, <laughs> uh, we are now almost 30 minutes in. Dang, and we haven't even talked about the episode. And uh, we're jumping into the synopsis Okay, now. let's do it. So, this is from Stargate Wiki. Uh, and I have not had a chance to edit this, so there'll Here be some we go. tweaks on the fly. Yeah, man. Uh, powerful solar flare crossing the path of the Stargate's matter stream causes the SG-1 team to be propelled around the sun and travel back in time 30 years. Talk about... Skipping. Okay, yeah, carry they on. Skip a little bit there. Uh, they arrive in the embarkation room, which was then a top secret missile testing facility, and are arrested by guards that think they are Soviet spies because Doctor Jackson can speak Russian. No, no, they don't do that for that. They they think that they're Soviet spies, and then Jackson kind of confirms it for them by speaking Russian. This, yes, this synopsis is conflating a lot. Yeah. And you missed the whole part about uh, the uh, Teal shooting uh, oh, yeah, the that part at the, the, the missiles. Yeah. And you missed the note that Hammond gives to uh, Carter, which is a big deal. That is a big deal. All right, moving on. <laughs> While Colonel Jack O'Neill is being interrogated and using comedic answers, i.e. Star Trek and Star Wars references mm -hmm. to obscure their two identities, a young lieutenant searches through SG-1's possessions and discovers a note stating that he should help them, a note Major General George S. Hammond had given Samantha Carter before they left. Well, why don't you just talk about that earlier? And then, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. While Okay, and, and by the way, that young lieutenant happens to actually be Hammond, and I think even you figured that out pretty quick, didn't you? Well, it was in the, it was in the trailer. Oh, okay. Fair yeah, it was, it was like plain as day. Yeah, okay. So, and he has, you know, Hammond on yes. his name tag there. Yes. Uh, okay. 
Uh, while escaping custody with the help of this lieutenant, they discover that he is, in fact, General Hammond, 30 years younger, who recognized the note as his own handwriting. Uh, he gives them some money to purchase disguises. No, he gives them money because O'Neill takes it from him. Yes. They use that to purchase disguises. Yes. Uh, which O'Neill promises to pay back with interest. That's true. Yes. Uh, they swear him to secrecy and hit him with a Zetnikatel blast to make it look like he fought them. Uh, that doesn't say anything about shooting the, the boxes of all of their gears. Nope. Three blasts from the Zetnikatel to make it disintegrate. Poof, go away. Um, or anything else. But, okay. We're flying through this. The SG team, SG-1 team, must find a way home. If nothing else, Teal'c will eventually be taken over by a symbiote unless he can return to the present, but it seems apparent they are doomed to be stuck in the past. Bum, bum, bum. That's a poorly constructed sentence. Oh, yeah, those things. All right. Mm. However, Carter sees that the note includes two dates and times and grasps that the dates actually describe two upcoming solar flares on the opposite side of the... Of soul of the sun mm-hmm. um there's some there's a lot of conflation there. there's a lot of conflation in there yep. yeah uh the information was identified from research on alternate applications for the gate she was ordered to work on by general hammond to use these flares as an effective means of getting back to the future they must find the stargate yeah again conflation we were talking about it when we were yep. watching the show yep um but so Whatever. you've seen the show so that's okay yep after a bold hitchhiking maneuver by Teal'c... Whoa! All of a sudden, we jumped backwards. Oh, my gosh. After a bold hitchhiking maneuver by Teal'c, SG-1 is well, this able is to a, travel across the country this with is a an episode couple, about, Michael uh, and Jennifer. Time travel. They're using time travel inside their own synopsis. Uh, you know, if that's what they were actually doing, I would give them a pass. Yeah. But they're not. I, I don't know. That's what I'm going to choose to believe. Retcon, baby. All right. Anyway, so, okay. So, so they the team of us and hippies. Yep, yep. That are going to a concert in upstate New York. Yes, who are heading to Woodstock in their bus, which is never actually identified nope. in the show as Woodstock, but no. it is. I think it's Snoopy Stock. Snoopy Stock. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it would either be Snoopy or Woodstock, because Woodstock is the name of the character. I like Snoopy Stock. Snoopy Stock, Stock is a lot of fun. Okay, anyway, carrying on. I'm going with Snoopy Stock. Late in their trip, the couple reveals that Michael has been drafted. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And they are trying to decide whether or not to flee to Canada. The war with Canada? <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. O'Neill begins a response to Michael, but Carter stops him in order to prevent them from influencing the past. Michael is never mentioned again in the series, and his choice is not known. What does that have to do with the show? I, they decided to write that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, donning a convincing, in quotation marks, German accent, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel learns the location of the Stargate <laughs> from Catherine Langford. Uh, SG-1 manages to activate the gate stored in an old Washington, D.C. armory and run through while under fire from guards. Yes. However, they arrive, arrive in an empty, dark gate room rather than in Stargate Command that they know. Uh, an elderly woman walks in who, it turns out, is Cassandra Frazier, and she tells them that they stepped into the Stargate a few seconds early and were sent too far into the future. Long ago, Sam told her that she must rendezvous with them using an unknown device. Cassandra activates a Stargate without needing to dial or generate an unstable vortex. The team steps 
through the gate yep. and arrives back in the normal gate room Ba-ba-da. with General Hammond waiting for them. He explains that as a young lieutenant, he was ordered to escort four trespassers out of Cheyenne Mountain. In Carter's vest pocket, he found a note requesting for his assistance. Obviously, he followed its instructions. All he had to do was wait for the right time to give Carter the note. He remembered the cut on Carter's hand, and that has helped him with all that. Uh, General reminds O'Neill uh, that he owes him $539.50, including interest. <sighs> the end. That's, the, that's, the, that's what they say. Okay, okay, the uh, end. That, that, that's the end. And by the end, I mean not necessarily the end of the episode or anything like that, but the end of this synopsis. The end of the synopsis. Okay. So then, mm-hmm. my dear friend Brent... Mm-hmm. 1969, mm-hmm. the episode, not the year. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? <laughs> Thanks for the specification. <laughs> Just to be clear. Just to be clear. Um, this was a lot of fun. This was a fun one. I liked, uh, so I, uh, yeah, this one kind of, I was a little worried that I was going to be, um, I was going to be that guy that was getting too technical about like, you know, actually with time traveling, your grandfather kind of like, I was kind of worried that I was going to get hung up on those details. And, um, they, they did fine. Um, there was nothing in there that was like, so tough for me to get hung up on. Like the, the time dilation, the black hole thing that I was getting all worked up about with, uh, whatever that episode was, um, a matter of time, a matter of time. Um, uh, I think I was getting worked up over that because I believe that those problems that I was identifying were avoidable, right? Like, like you didn't have to set it up like that uh, and be accurate, and you could still have an adventure that was just as much fun. And but they were just kind of doing the lazy, like you know, the lazy way of describing it. Uh, with sci-fi around time travel, because there is so little. <laughs> AKA no observational evidence <laughs> about what actually happens when something goes and influences its own past. Right. Then this is, this is, this is all just speculation as to what actually happens. Right. So if, if you, if a person were to go back in time at all, uh, it doesn't matter if they like kill their own grandfather, they are already affecting the events around them in ways that otherwise wouldn't have been period. And so, uh, the most logical, uh, uh, answer of what happens when you go back in time is that you have in alter you have altered the past so that it is no longer what your future will be the end like you you aren't going to be able to go back exactly to the way it was or the other way of looking at it of like by definition it is a part of your past therefore it you there is nothing you can do to actually impact the flow of time because it is already integrated into- which actually is kind of what this episode Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, despite Carter's concerns about despite everything, Car- yeah. the reality is that we already know from the very beginning when Hammond hands her yes. the note that these events for Hammond have already happened. Right. They're in Hammond's past already. It's not like they're rewriting right. Hammond's past. He already knows about this. And Jackson alludes to it when he was saying that, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? What's the doctor's name? The Catherine, Catherine Langford. Langford. Um, that Dr. Langford started to uh, do her research with the Stargate in the late 60s. And he says, maybe we're the ones who get her started on that. Like, yeah. right. Like, so it's already kind of built into it. So, so I was able to get over my little technical, like, you know, well, actually pretty fast. And then like, this is a pretty fun episode. The writing is good. The storyline is 
fine. Like the solar flare thing, I'm laughing because it's like, you know, I, you know, I didn't oh. know that solar flares had such power. Like, <laughs> well, you know, we, we don't have any idea how that's true. You know, a solar flare would right. affect uh, the technology of the Stargates. And, yes. and in fact, it's established in this episode that now we know what happens. A solar flare does have the ability to somehow spin that wormhole in such a so, way that it, it causes some weirdness. I'm with you when you say that the flare affects the technology. And I'm not with you when you say the flare affects the wormhole. And I think it's an important distinction. Because if the flare through the wormhole is affecting the technology such that it creates a wormhole in space-time that is different than what they were expecting, hence they have traveled in time, like 100%, right there. Uh, Flares affect on space-time, a.k.a. rips in it, a.k.a. wormholes. Like, I'm not buying. I'm not buying that a flare has that kind of effect on space-time itself. I am 100% with you if we say that the flare through the wormhole is affecting the technology, creating an un, un, like something is happening and you step through it and now you're in a different time. I, I, I think you're arguing semantics there, Brent, but I oh, will no. allow you to no, uh, accept that, you know. distinction. Okay, anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so it's good writing, good acting, um, good visuals. The montages were hilarious. The music that they chose for the montages was ridiculous, but that's all right. I'm just letting that go. Um, but you know, I mean, Brad Wright was saying this is designed to be a fun episode. It was fun. Um, you know, this was a fun episode. There, there's a lot happening in this episode, but it. I mean, one of the things that you you have often kind of complained about are these episodes that are just throwaway episodes that yeah. don't have anything to do with anything. Right. Well, this is an episode that basically doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it's fun. I don't. Yeah. 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 Um. It's, I don't think it has, I don't think it has nothing to do with anything because, well, at least I'm hoping it's now established that General Hammond knew. No, wait a minute. Oh, interesting. He didn't quite know much about the program itself. Now that I'm thinking about it, all he knew was that he was helping these four prison or you know uh detainees to get transported he got this note i can't remember exactly what they told him so what he knows is right um sometime in the future he is going to be a general yes and that he is going to have as a general some point where where he's going to ask uh somehow four people to go do a thing do a thing but i'm not sure that they know i don't Um, think he got told what the thing was I don't remember if time travel was actually talked about. Yeah, it well, was. Well, I mean, it was. Yes, he was. But he, how? I don't think. No, he was never taught how it was going to yeah. happen. Uh, told how it was going to happen. Um, he, you know, it depends on how much he looked at those uniforms. If he saw the SG-1 pass, patches, yeah. then um, that might have... Uh, triggered something when he all of a sudden became general of the Stargate of Cheyenne Mountain when before the, the program actually began. Yep. Um, and he knew he recognized Sam Carter, and he recognized her the moment he saw her mm-hmm. as this as this woman, um, which means that his ordering of her to right. study the gate for time travel purposes uh, had something to do with this, right? Um, but he didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. And, 
until he met O'Neill and Teal'c and Jackson, mm-hmm. um, uh, he didn't know who they were. Uh, now, here's an interesting little tidbit. Mm-hmm. Does this knowledge of recognizing Teal'c help Hammond trust Teal'c more? Where is my bell? Beginning? Where is my bell? You were watching me smirk across this table as you were going through that. And I was waiting for you to pause so that I could bring up how I was observing at the beginning of season one that General Hammond seems like an ableist, right? Like, he's constantly saying yes to some really kind of weird things like like he went from distrusting uh Teal'c to integrating him into SG1 pretty fast. I mean, like I get it. That. Right. Like like you know, I, I understand there was this guy that helped his team get off planet like and and he put up a bit of a resistance but not that convincing of a resistance. And so this was a really nice retcon writing moment um which reconciles that. Now, I don't know if they intentionally did that to reconcile that past situation. But at least in my observation, you're right. Like now all of those moments early on where it's like, he's really kind of rushing things forward, or at least it felt like it. Like he was saying yes to things that made sense because it was a television show. It made sense because it was time to get the story to move forward. But if you were actually like thinking about what was happening in that moment, it's like, would you really make that decision? Probably not. You would probably want to wait a little bit or get more information or something, right? But now knowing, yeah, he, he's been knowing about this, uh, uh, that um, he had been aware that there was going to be something that would happen that would end up creating something that's like time travel after he becomes a general. And it, the people that he's going to help are going to look like this, mm-hmm. like these folks. And as he meets them, he's like, yep, you're the person that's going to be on. You're going to be on my lead team and you're going to be on my lead team and, yeah. and you're going to be. On my, and yep, there you are, alien man. You're going to be on my lead team, too. But I better make it look like I don't know who you are first. Who is this guy? Is he can he be trusted? Yep, he can be trusted. Go along. You know, also, um, at the very beginning, uh, Jackson is like, no, 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 no. I've got to be on your lead team to go out there and do stuff. Yeah. And. You know, the first thing that Hammond says to him basically is, you're in no position to make demands. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really pissed off at this guy. Yeah. But, um, and in, the, in that moment, it would make sense. Yes. But, you know, we've had uh, other folks that, that have, have questioned why uh, Jackson is even on this team. And mm-hmm. if, on, uh, if Hammond recognizes Jackson, right. Right. now all of a sudden... Putting him there and making sure he's on that team and this team is actually out doing stuff makes a lot of sense. It's yeah. really good. I it's just kind I didn't of even think about this until right now. This is so cool. <laughs> you heard it here first. Zach has watched this series all the way through five times. Easily. More than that. Probably. How many times have you seen 1969? I got a feeling you've seen it more than five. Oh, uh, I, I would ballpark it at 10. Uh huh. And just now, <laughs> just now, you now have this new. This new analysis, this new thing to chew on. You're welcome, Zach. You're welcome. Thanks, Brent. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. There, it, it, I don't know if they intended it. If the writing intended to kind of smooth that one over, then that's brilliant. If it accidentally smooths it over, that's fine. Like it, it just makes the universe a little bit tighter. That's good. I suspect that what happened was they were just writing a fun story mm-hmm. and this is what it happened to be um 
it's conceivable, I don't know this for a fact, but it's conceivable that the various writers and whatnot, after having written the story and kind of looking at it, and they're like, hey, you know what? This actually kind of explains X's and Y's. Right. Um, so let's make sure we keep elements in there that explain X's and Y's. Oh, no, I, I, I suspect that this is uh, even after that spot. This oh, yeah, is, okay. This is after probably they filmed it. Okay. I bet they probably did not have that conversation <laughs> until after they were sitting there watching the final product. Yes. And they're like, hey, you know what? You know what this does? <laughs> this actually does this and yeah. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. If they did that at all, right. that's when I suspect happened. Yeah, Yeah, and it's also quite possible that they didn't do that in the least. Yeah, that's entirely possible as well. But nerds like us... But we do! Well, you see, now that's the thing, especially when it comes to sci-fi. You know, and maybe other genres too, but, like, folks, big old nerds like us that love to just ruminate on something incessantly. Uh, these are kind of those little markers that separate great stories that turn into just cult followings from pretty okay stories that were fun or whatever. Like, because they have these moments that intentional or otherwise end up weaving back into itself yeah. to create this cohesion that is that has a life of its own. Well, and this is also explains part of why you get such nerd rage because mm -hmm. nerds do this. Mm -hmm. Nerds want to uh, create and figure out how all of this fits together. And when you as a writer just put something out there that just doesn't fit, yeah. I'm looking at you, George Lucas. Uh-huh. Uh, nerds just... They, they, they're they trying to fit this thing into this one thing, and I'm gesticulating with my hands all yeah. over the place, but you can't see this because... Because it's radio. Radio. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they hate because they can't fit that square peg in right. the round hole, yeah. and and it just doesn't work, and... And, and no matter yeah. which way you twist it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Like, the amount of times that we've had conversations over the years, the many years where Zach and I have had conversations with each other and friends, literally pouring over episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars over and over and over, talking about all the ways that it got the story wrong or should have been said, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because what, at a level, you know, there's, the hope is now long gone, but at a level, there's that tiny, tiny bit of hope of, you know, if I, if I just look at it maybe this way, it'll line up. Like everything will kind of line up and, you know, and those things, it's hilariously bad how no matter which way you line the thing up, it just doesn't really seem to, nothing seems to actually click all the way through. Right. Like There's last episodes uh, of, of SG-1 with show and tell, you were looking at it one way and I'm like, yes. hey, if you spin it this yes. way, it all of a sudden fits into the slot. A lot better. And yeah. then like, oh, okay. And then we move on. Absolutely. Uh, Lucas. Yeah. <clears throat> well, anyway. Anyway, this is actually Stargate podcast. Yeah, not Star, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> There's a lot of those out there, I'm sure. There's probably plenty of audio that a person can listen oh, to. Oh, yes. That goes over that in detail. Yep. Um, so what was one of your, what were a couple, a couple of your favorite moments of this episode? Um, that's a good question. I, um, I, I, I did, I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed the comedic element of, uh, of the hippies in the van. Like, like it's so tropey, but it's still fun. Uh, and the trope of, uh, you know, trying to look like they integrate back into the late sixties. So they're wearing all these ridiculous clothes and like teal with hair and, you know, like yeah. and the, and the little bandana to hide, to hide an aspect of it, you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of lame, but on the same token, it's still kind of fun. 
Um, I liked how um, I liked how the science part of the science fiction didn't get me too far in the reads. Uh, mm. Like you know, this is you know when you're talking about time travel, it unless you're Doctor Who, it gets sticky. Um, and even Doctor Who deals with the stickiness by uh, by coming up with with entire elements of plot that are on purpose uh, acknowledging the stickiness of narrative storytelling when you're dealing with time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I liked how it didn't really get into the reads with that one. Uh, I liked uh, I liked that thing. I you know it's part of the reason why I hate the movie um, Shakespeare in Love so much is because the writers of Shakespeare in Love we're taking stories that were written already and then putting it in a setting that's contemporary to the stories that were written already. And then trying to sell it off as a product that says, look at these fantastic events that led to the writing of the stories that are contemporary to the stories that we use for material. That cyclical understanding is like, that's not clever. That's just like, we're looking at it through the lens of pretending that we're in that time frame and that the stories haven't existed yet, but the stories have existed, right? They didn't, I got myself turned around. Um, they didn't fall prey to that, to that kind of cyclical, like, like self-referential <laughs> treatment of history as a plot device. Maybe that's where I'm going with it. Um, but it was still fun to watch some of those cyclical developments uh, happen. The uh, Captain Hammond. Um, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Hammond, uh, you know, being the predecessor to our very beloved general Hammond and understanding like what, you know, these moments kind of led to that, um, which led to that conversation you and I just had about how, Oh, interesting. If we're looking at general Hammond's actions in season one, like how is this now, how are these actions now informed based off of this knowledge, which is kind of cool. Um, there's some loose threads that are now out there. Honestly, we now have a couple of people um, in 1969 witness the Stargate getting activated and used by unknown people who had uh, uh, energy weapon technology, right? Hmm. Like, technically, there's still a couple of guys out there in 1969 who have watched this thing happen. Well, you have to admit, uh, imagine that there were actually um, security cameras. Maybe. And there's a high likelihood that some of that got actually filmed. Maybe. It's a warehouse in 69. I don't know if there would be security cameras in a warehouse in 69. But regardless... A military armory warehouse? I don't think in 1969 okay. they were, but it doesn't matter because you're, there's still, there's still witnesses, either witnesses with film evidence or witnesses with, um, observational evidence, film evidence being much more strong. Well, there's all, but the military already knows about the Stargate. Never mind. They, they, they already, they already fired it up in 1940 something. Yeah. But I guess the question is, um, well, I don't know, but my point is, there's some loose threads. It's not actually cleanly tied up. Will we see those loose, thre- loose threads come to fruition? I don't know. But it's nice to have those elements out there in a way that doesn't actually take away from the story, but can lead to something else in the future. Right. I love that kind of stuff. We also have um, the the time travel element of the Stargate. Yes. Uh, that now we have established... Uh, even if you want to recognize that the science is kind of weird and the wonky solar flares, whatnot, okay, fine. Um, we don't have to explain how or why. Uh, that's for nerds to do, and, and we're not nerds. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're sensible oh, <laughs> people. We're, we're normals. We're just we're just casually pouring over meticulous details of a show that was filmed 20 years ago like yeah. as you do as you do <laughs> um, 
but but you know now you've got that really great nugget there of yeah. saying um you know that they have established uh uh that time travel exists mm-hmm. in this universe uh there's a way to do it uh but it's also a way that we don't have i mean we can't just willy-nilly do it because we've already established that we you need the solar flare stuff and you can't just predict a solar flare right. willy-nilly like right we do um or we don't do right um so uh you know that that's that's a great little nugget right there. it is that's kind of tidy right like they should now going forward they should never try to gate uh when the pathway is so close to the sun like it was something that's that carter was bringing up at the beginning as a yeah. risk um or that was making the calculations tough and now we know that if your pathway is cutting within that distance where the the possibility of a flare activating at that precise moment is 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 possibility like that's a no go and right like you could and then that that would then give you the ability to so so like that zone is no go which means that you that your pathways can exist in this um circle around where the sun is and if there is a flare that would be going across that part granted it would have diminished quite a lot but now you have had advanced warning right mm-hmm. like your pathway is going that way you're doing some observation granted you're eight minutes behind where it was but whatever like well, maybe that does matter whatever you know math math and science <laughs> math and science it's all solved with math and science but yeah but now the gate can and great storytelling and great storytelling now the gate can get you somewhere else in time not only uh, uh, so yeah I, yes, my coffee's wearing off. Oh, well, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> actually probably about that time then, Brent. Yeah, okay. Where, where uh, I ask you, how many chevrons does this get? Before we get into it, do you feel like you got into talking about what you liked and didn't like about the episode? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm going to talk a lot. One of my favorite scenes yeah. is um, when they're trying to hitchhike. And and O'Neill's like Carter, get out there, stick your thumb out there. Yes. She's like, yes. okay, yes. okay, here you go. And then Till goes, this method is unaffected. Yes, and he just goes, stands out in the middle yep. of the road. Yep, stop the bus. Yep. <laughs> like, what are you doing? This is affected. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It. Was a good scene. Uh, Teal has some great lines in this one. He does have some good lines. Yeah, um, you know, they're they're the war with know. Canada. And- yeah. Uh, uh, slavery and oppression, or yeah, whatever it right. was. Right, slavery and uh, false worship, or worship of false worship gods. Worship false gods, yeah. yeah. Right on. Uh, right on, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah and then, you know, the whole establishment stuff. Yes. I, I love that little uh, tidbit of things. Um, you know, it was just fun to, to see them uh, dress up like that. I noticed, uh, I noticed this time, uh, I hadn't noticed it before, that uh, when... Uh, Carter and Jackson go to visit Langford. Mm-hmm. He's wearing Michael's glasses. When they go to visit Langford, he is. Jackson is wearing Michael's glasses. He's wearing Michael. Oh, Michael's glasses. I was no, getting oh, Michael no, no. screwed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was no, getting... no, not Michael Shane. Yes. That <laughs> was where my character. brain was. I'm like, <laughs> of course he'd be wearing his glasses um like right he's wearing those glasses yeah yeah, yeah that's interesting yeah. um uh, a little detail yeah, yeah there's just a little detail yep um also that accent was hilarious yeah that was hilarious. uh there there were uh, one of the things that i noticed is, is i was doing research that uh they were suggesting that some of his grammatical choices um were 
questionable. Uh, for instance, dein does mean your, uh, like dein Vater. Yes. Um, uh, however, in this situation, it probably would have been the more formal ear, ear uh-huh. Vater. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm quite certain that my uh, German-speaking friends out there would correct me even more than that. Here's a tidbit. Uh-huh. Um, in the German... Uh, version of this episode where yes. uh, he uh, comes in with a French uh-huh. <laughs> Bonjour. I am here to uh, look at your how you say uh, Stargate. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, I did mention last week that this is one of my favorite episodes. Yes. Yes. And one of the reasons I love it is just it's just a fun mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. Uh, it's tight. Yeah. It actually fits together. I mean, there's a couple of fuzzy spots here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, basically, it, it's a really tight episode. It gets you from point A to point B. It's logically consistent yes. within its own established yep. parameters. Yep. Um, it's great acting. It's great mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just a wonderful episode yeah. that, that you watch it and you're like, I feel good. Um, do you? So one of my favorite Star Trek episodes is um, uh, Elementary, My Dear Data, I think is what it's called. Uh, it's the one where the where uh, on the holodeck, uh, the, you know, they're, they're going through... Um, uh, Sherlock Holmes mysteries and data, of course, is just like solving it in five seconds. And Jordy says, all right, computer, like create a Moriarty that is uh, is the equal for data. And, you know, the power drains on the ship and all right, that stuff. And then right. Moriarty is like sentient and all that jazz. Like, and that one was one of my favorite episodes for probably a lot of the same reasons where it's just a tight story, visually compelling, pretty interesting, has a kind of a cool little idea. It's set away from the normal Star Trek set. Right. Yep. Like the, the most of that thing is taking place in Victorian England. Right. So in this one, we're set. It's still all Vancouver, but whatever. It's 1969. America, Vancouver, America. Um, <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, it's 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 kind of taking us to a place that we know, but isn't the SGC. And it's a fun story. And it's, you know, it's 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 enjoyable on its own. Or at least that's how I. Sure. Um, I, I, I hear what you are saying. Yes. And I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think that your example of elementary dear data is questionable because no, awesome. I've got all sorts of plot holes in that one that I would... Nah, you just smooth it over with a patch, computer patch. Just smooth it over. Just smooth it. Uh-huh. Just smooth it right uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. Just, just buff that out. Just, right it'll, there. Buff, it'll buff right out. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so... Oops, sorry. Um, I don't know. If, I, I bonked a thing, so... Uh, who knows if the audio picked that up? But well, if it did, now anyway. you know why. So this is this is one of your so, favorites. With that, yes, nineteen sixty nine. Yes, how many chevrons does it get? I think you were kind of hitting the marks. Nice, nice story, fun story, good time, good acting, good visuals, hilariously questionable music. Um, it's just a good ride, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just a fun time. Uh, so by the way, I yeah. have already figured out what I'm giving this. Yes. Sometimes I kind of wait and yes. then I actually make my decision before you start yes. talking. I have already decided what I'm giving it, but go ahead. Uh, 
I'm going to give this one. I'm going to give this one a six out of seven. Um, there are parts of it that make me think that it, which is going to sound almost sacrilegious, uh, that it drifts towards five, but that's because there was just enough about it that was like, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, good time. Awesome. As opposed to sort of those like fantastic or compelling or like deeply engaging uh, storytelling moments, which I very much love. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but you know what? It was it was a good time. Like it was an enjoyable episode. Would I watch it again? Yes. Yeah, it's fun. Um, it is it worth my time? Yes. Does it convey story elements that I think are important? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, we were talking about how it might be one of those episodes that doesn't really t- tell us much, but it's still fun to do. I think that there's stuff in here that actually could come back mm-hmm. and is important and would be missing if you didn't watch it. Um, I could be wrong. They might never, ever use the Stargate to do time travel ever again for the rest of the series. Uh, those two dudes that witnessed it uh, in the warehouse might never matter ever again. But right now, having watched it and not knowing that, there's some tantalizing stuff in here. I want to see what's happening next. Sweet. Mm-hmm. So what about you? So, Brent, you are correct. I Yes? The correct answer is six. Yes, Chevron. yes, that was correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to hear. I'm glad yeah. to hear I'm correct. Um. You know, so uh, last week uh, I, I teased that this is one of my favorite episodes, yeah. and you're like, "So is this like a Bane?" Right? And I'm like, "No, this isn't like Bane. Bane's a definably bad episode. Yeah, it is. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really bad. Seven Chevrons. It's so is bad. So awful. It's so good. It is so good. It. it is terrible. Yes. It is forgettable." Yes. You could skip it. Yes. The only reason you can't skip it is that in a few episodes later, you see uh, um, uh, uh, Teal'c tell Mayborn that he's within his rights to tear his arms off, basically. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's skippable. But anyway, this nah. is definitely <laughs> and definitively a six. Yes. Yes. And I challenge you, dear listeners, to try to prove me wrong. Yes. And you know how they can do that. You can do that by... Well, wait a second. We skipped oh, a spot. We skipped a spot. Oh, we did skip a spot. Yes. <laughs> Hold on to that thought. Yes. Moving on. Okay. Brent. Yes. The next episode. Yes. The last episode of this season. Yes. Is called Out of Mind. Okay. What is Out of Mind <laughs> about? Okay. The Stargate SG-1 team travels through the gate to that world where all of the Riesla, Riesla, Riesla? Ritu? Ritu. Travel through the gate where the Ritu were staging a little invasion in the middle of a deserted field with no particular reason to be there at all. As they get there, they go with their little <laughs> ray guns that shine light on them to phase them back into existence. And they're looking at them. They find them all. And there they are. This time we're going to get them, says Jack. And they start to launch an attack but when they do so the light thing phases out like burns out stops working and instantly everybody seems to forget why they're there they're standing around in the middle of a field and they don't know why they're there they get beat up by invisible things and they don't know what's going on but they're just literally like i have no idea what's happening the stargate sg1 team is being is suffering from the phenomenon of out of sight, out of mind. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 for 
out of mind. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. How'd I do? Yep. Yep. They get it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 sure. You oh, betcha. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> shall, shall we just move on and watch what? Should we just... Just watch the just watch the Let's trailer. Watch the trailer. Okay, here I'm gonna pick, right. up, pick up my thing and walk over here. So now we are watching the same screen. All right, and Let's here we go. Next on Stargate SG One, after countless missions and countless victories, oh, yeah. Colonel O'Neill must face his final defeat. Welcome back, what? What? And everything he once knew is gone. Everyone on your team are all deceased. That's because he can't see him. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Oh no. What? For Colonel O'Neill. There may be nothing left to fight for. What happened to my team? Is this a clip show? You didn't make it. I got that. Uh, On the next oh. oh no. Oh no. Are you subjugating are you subjugating me to a clip show? <laughs> are they literally mailing in the last episode of season two with a clip show i plead the fifth uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the first part of two parts though right i mean we can't watch the second one because it'll spoil the first one i get it right so this is the end of season two yes and then there's the start of season three yes and you, and we're gonna watch both of those episodes you know i'm gonna watch one and then the other yes and our next recording is gonna be about those two episodes yes so i guess there's probably some good news because if they start season three with more of a clip show <laughs> that's a bad move and they surely didn't do a bad the look on your face is not actually convincing me. <laughs> you know, okay, dear listeners, I, I am intentionally making my face uh, in such a way that uh, uh, Brent is now all sorts of spun up I and has no idea what no to do idea. with what's next. I don't know. I am convinced I'm about uh, just seeing the little, like, uh, uh, <clears throat> having him... The, the promo, so this is what I know. The promo is telling me that he is chiro- had been chirogenically frozen. His teammates are dead. That's a bad, sad thing. We'll get to why he gets there. Whatever. We'll, we'll figure that out. And then it's just shot after shot of them futuristically pulling up a television screen <laughs> to look at things that had already happened. <laughs> hey, I, I will uh, confirm that Out of Mind is indeed a clip show. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. Now, this is something that you need to know. Every season, or just about every season yeah. of Stargate, has one clip show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then their infinite wisdom. In their infinite wisdom, they decide to end season two. <laughs> <laughs> It, I'm really interested okay, look, about this one now. It worked for season two of Star Trek The Next Generation. Did they do a clip show for that one? Shades of Grey. Oh, maybe so. Maybe I just forgot. Like, because here's I mean, why I'm, okay. And by work, I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it didn't work. No. It was terrible. But that's why I'm, that's why I'm kind of going on and on, is that, like, like um, fine. I already know there's many, many seasons of Stargate. At the time, when I was doing this with Star Trek, I knew that there was many seasons of Star Trek. I was able to go from a crummy season-ending clip show right into the beginning of season three, which, again, is what I'm going to be able to do on this one. Yeah. But back then, this was 
the spring of 99 and then the next episode the launch season three was going to be in the fall presumably of 99 with all that time in the middle and you're basically telling the 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 viewers like yeah yeah we're gonna we're gonna end it on a lame one (laughs) stick with us (laughs) now i will say this that uh uh out of mind, the next episode aired on March 12, 1999. We'll yes. talk more about this next time. Yes. The next episode, the beginning of season three, begins June 25th, 1999. So it's not that so long. So it's only okay. about, what, five or six weeks later. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like uh, you're waiting three months. Right. To figure out or what's going on. Or years, as is the case sometimes with... Or years in some situations. Seasons these days. Um, but anyway... So, uh, that is out of mind, and we will watch that one and the first episode of season three for next time. Yes. Um, I would be lying if I said I'm excited, but we'll do it. Well, you know, we watch these episodes so that if they're bad, you don't have to, dear listeners. Yeah, there we go. That's <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're a completionist like me, in which case you watch them over and over and over again. And then again. you just have to suffer through it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, tell us what you think about yeah. Out of Mind. Tell us what you think about 1969. Yeah. Tell us what you think about Brent and me being in the same room and being goofy in Woo-hoo! the same space. Woo! Yeah. All of those things. You can do that by uh, emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's... W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-H-T-